This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I want you to open your Bible with me to the gospel according to Mark. And I want you to find the last chapter, Mark chapter number 16. I know that your pastor began this year with this marvelous verse that's on the front of your bulletin about the sower going forth to sow. And I love the gospel according to Mark. In fact, it is my favorite gospel record. And uh, in our online Bible study right now, our podcast, we're studying the gospel according to Mark. We're walking through it. We haven't gotten far. I think we're up to chapter 2 or 3 right now, but we're going to walk through the whole thing. But I want to take you to the end of this book to show you a phrase. Now, we're going to look at a number of verses, but one phrase that the Lord has been using in my own life. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of this year, the Holy Spirit brought these words to my mind and impress them so deeply on my heart uh, that I've been praying this phrase. I've been praying it every week. I've been praying it in every meeting. Everywhere I've traveled, I've prayed this phrase. And as I've been praying it, I've been seeing it at work. And I want you to see what it is because I think it will encourage you. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14 says, Afterward. After what? After he has risen from the dead. After he has started showing himself. You remember there were at least 10 post-resurrection appearances of Christ, and so he started that. He set it in motion, and yet uh, the disciples, the original apostles, did not believe. They, they just wouldn't believe. By the way, sometimes it's those who know the most that believe the less. In other words, we've been around it so long, we've, we've heard so much, we've seen so much, but when it really comes time to believe the Lord, sometimes it's the new believers the people who really don't know as much as some of the mature Christians who are willing to trust God, and the rest of us sit back and say, well, I don't know about that. And so the Bible says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Let me pause just a moment before we read on and tell you, that verse has been so misunderstood and misrepresented in our world that there are people that actually believe if you don't get baptized, you don't go to heaven. Now, for the record, I believe in baptism. That's why I'm a Baptist. I believe in believer's baptism. There's a divine order here. You believe and are baptized. You believe and are baptized. But look, friend, you can go in the water, uh, a dry center, and come out a wet center. The water doesn't wash your sins away. Baptism never saved anybody. So what is this verse all about? Well, look at the end of the verse. Notice what not only is said and what is not said. He says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Notice it does not say, he that is not baptized shall be damned. It says, he that believeth not. The, the key point of eternal life is not the baptism, it is the believing. 
So why even say, he that believeth in is baptized? Well, you have to understand, in our world today, people look at baptism like, I take that or leave that. I've seen people make a profession of faith in Christ and then say, well, you know, I got saved, but I'm not interested in getting baptized. By the way, anybody that's not interested in obeying Jesus, I wonder if they really know him. Because baptism is the first step of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to understand that in the first century church, baptism was the public sign that let everybody know that man is a follower of Jesus Christ. So it was kind of a non-negotiable. I mean, when you believed, you got baptized. When you came to faith in Christ, you were unashamed of it, and you were excited about it, and you wanted everybody to know. And so baptism meant a great deal. And still, in other parts of the world, outside of our American Christianity, that's the case. You travel to certain parts of the world, friend, you get baptized. You may be separated from your friends, ostracized from your family. You may lose your possessions because now you're out now to follower of Jesus Christ. I think baptism ought to mean more to us, not less to us. But the way it means more is not by attaching it to eternal life. The way it means more is helping us understand that every believer ought to be baptized. So that's, that's the great truth found in that verse. Now look at verse number 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And let me just say, we're not going to skip these verses tonight. We're going to study them. How many of you would like to understand these verses a little better? In the hills of West Virginia, where I live, about an hour from our house, there are some churches, some people that live up in the holler that believe that the test and the sign of your faith is that you take up rattlesnakes and handle them in church. Don't get nervous. I didn't bring any with me tonight. That's not at all what this is talking about. Not at all. Matter of fact, one of those pastors just died in the last couple of years from a rattlesnake bite because he didn't have enough faith. That's what they said. Oh, that's, that's not faith. That's foolishness. That's nonsense. That's not at all what these, what these verses mean, and we're going to talk about them in just a moment. But let me say this. Though, and there's a key word here, signs. Remember, the Jews require a sign. God was giving these sign gifts. Somebody says, you think they were real? I know they were real. Read the book of Acts. You think they were legitimate? Every bit legitimate. Uh, the miracle was a validation of the message. The works proved the word. <laughs> the, the sign simply said, hey, this is truth just like Jesus' earthly ministry. And so God gave sign gifts, and he used those sign gifts in the early stages of the New Testament church. And as you study through the New Testament, you find that those sign gifts began to dissipate with the passage of time and the revelation of God's written word, the Scriptures. But I don't want you to miss this tonight because that's not what I want you to take away from this message. What I want you to take away is this. The signs may stop, but the power does not. The same God is still on the throne, and God can do anything, anywhere, through anybody he well pleases to. And I think we do a great disservice by, by making people question the power of God. I still believe God's able to do this and much more if he so chooses. And so we read on, verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Aren't you glad he's there tonight? He's in his seat, friend. I'm glad you're in your seat tonight, but praise God, Jesus is in his seat tonight. At the right hand of God, ever living, making intercession for us. Verse 20, and they went forth 
and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And all God's people said, Amen. Here's the phrase. Would you underline it in your Bible in verse 20? Right in the heart of the verse, the Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. Now, I must testify for a moment, if I may, just to tell you how God is using this in my own life. I am in the work of the Lord. I am giving my life to try to do what I believe God wants me to do with my life. I want to say to you, you are in the work of the Lord. You don't have to be an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary to be in the work of the Lord. If you're a Christian, we're all supposed to be in the work of the Lord. You're supposed to be engaged in it. But I have discovered that I can be in the work of the Lord, and yet the work that I'm doing is all me trying to do it. I've been there. And I must tell you, it is miserable. I'm speaking as a preacher now. I've preached sermons, and when I finished, sat down and thought, that was all me, and it was empty. I have worked on projects. I've tried to witness to people. I have I've gone through the motions and the mechanics and the routine of religious work only to discover that it was me trying to do God's work for him. When in fact, that is not at all how the early apostles lived. Now, did they work? Oh, yes, they worked. This is not a message to say you just be lazy and sit down over there and you're a spectator and and watch God do everything. It is to say this, when you get in on what the Lord is doing and you are You are in step with the Spirit. That's literally what walk in the Spirit means, to be in step with the Spirit of God. Then it's not just you working. It is the Lord working with you. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like seeing God work. There's there's nothing like, permit me to use this term, the quickening of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit quickens your mind, you think different. When he quickens your your voice, you speak different. When he quickens your heart, you feel different. When he quickens your understanding, you see people differently. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm just saying there is a real God, there is a real Holy Spirit living inside of us, and when we allow him to work with us and in us and through us, It changes everything. And instead of it becoming some boring, monotonous, routine, nominal, ordinary kind of life, no, you you come alive. There there is an adventure to serving the Lord because you know you're in on something bigger than you. The Lord is working with you. And I'm speaking to people tonight, I'm not talking just about church work, although that's the primary emphasis of the passage. I want you to know we need the Lord to work with us in everything we do. You husbands, you need the Lord to work with you in your home or your family's not going to turn out the right way. I need God's help as a daddy. I need God's help as a husband. I need the Lord to help me as a Christian man to to stay clean and to stay right. I need the Lord to work with me. I can't do that on my own. I need the Lord to work with me as a witness. I need the Lord to work with me as a teacher. I need the Lord to work with me in every area of my life. And some of you right now, you're plowing. You're plowing. You're trying to stay straight. You're trying to do the deep work. You're trying to do what 
you ought to do, but you feel like you're laboring in your own energy, in your own strength. And I want you to know it is a frustrating thing, especially when you know there's got to be more to it than this. Well, I'm glad to report to you tonight there is. It's the Lord working with you. Now, before I walk you through these verses, I want to show you something. Hold your place here a second and turn over with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't miss this. This really helped me the other day. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. This is a famous verse. We love to, love to quote it, but I want you to connect it to Mark 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. One of the great things about being in the Lord's work is getting to labor with other Christians. One of the things that I, I love even about being in this church is the joy to labor with you and, and to say to you, you're laboring with us in the gospel. But this is great. The Lord has made it so not only do we get to labor with each other, we actually get to labor with God. That's powerful. But now wait a minute. I want you to compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says that we labor with God. Now go back to Mark 16 and verse 20, and notice it says the Lord works with us. So I want to ask you, is, is it that we're working with God or is it that God is working with us? Yes. It's both. But there is a distinction between the two. The Holy Ghost chooses his words carefully. When the Bible says that we are laborers with God, it means that we have gotten in on his purpose. In other words, we found out what he's doing in the world, and we've got in on it. We're laboring in his garden, so to speak. We're laboring in, in his work. I think sometimes we try so hard to get God to labor on our work. We want to do something, so we make all of our plans and make all of our agenda, and then we say to God, all right, God, you're really privileged to get to bless me. I want you to bless what I'm doing. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. You get on what I'm doing. That's the greater, grander, more eternal purpose, and then you'll see the blessing of the Lord. But now watch this. When it says we're laboring with God, it means we're in on his purpose. Oh, but that's not enough. When it says the Lord's laboring with us, it means we're in on his power. It means not only are we doing the right thing, we're now doing it with the enabling and the equipping and the energizing of the Holy Ghost of God. It is the Lord working with us. How many of you would like that? Would you raise your hand? All right, so how do you get there? Good question. I'm going to give you a list. It all comes from Mark 16, and I'd like for you to mark it in your Bible and write them down so that you can go back and meditate on it again and pray your way through it and apply it to your own life. Here's the first one. Let's start in verse 14. When do we see the Lord working with us? Number one, would you write this down? When we are willing to believe. Everything God does begins with faith. You do not get saved until you're willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You do not enter into the victorious Christian life until you're willing to live the life of faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And you do not get to see God at work in your work and in your life and in your labor. You do not get to experience His power until you access it by faith because whatsoever is not of faith is what, church? Sin. Let me tell you what I've learned. I have learned that faith is what releases the power of God. But now, wait a minute. If faith releases the power of God, guess what that means? It means unbelief limits the power of God. I hear people say, God's not limited by anything. Actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
Hold your place here a second. Go back with me to the Psalms for just a second. Go to Psalm 78. Here's what the Bible says about the children of Israel, God's chosen people. Look, you don't get any closer to God than Israel was, and yet they limited God. Look at Psalm 78, verse 40. How oft, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Look at the exclamation point. God's grieved. Oh, Lord, are you grieved with me? What grieves God? Look at verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You know how they did it? Through their unbelief. They refused to believe that God was able to overcome the giants, the sons of Anak. They refused to believe that God was able to give them the land of Canaan. They refused to believe that the Lord was enough. And their unbelief alone limited the creator God of the universe. I want you to know God can do some big things, but he's not going to do big things when we're praying little prayers. And he's not going to do great and mighty things when we're content to settle for lesser things. One of the things that I'm observing in churches all over this country that really frightens me is that we are living in a day of low expectations spiritually. Very few people come to church really expecting God to show up. Very few. Very few people really believe their lost loved ones are going to get saved. Very few people really pray fervently in faith, believing God's going to answer that prayer this week. Very few people. Very few people are really expecting a spiritual awakening to come in our day. Matter of fact, I hear people speaking in unbelief saying, yeah, we don't believe that's going to happen. That day's over. Friend, if I believe that, I'd be home in a lazy boy tonight, not traveling. I'm telling you that this is a day and age when the people of God ought to be believing God for great and mighty things that we know not. Our God is able, but he's looking for some people who will have faith in God. Then just happen to Israel. Go back to Mark just a minute. Stop off in Mark chapter 6. It not only happened in Israel, it happened in Jesus' hometown. You want to talk about a hometown disaster? Look at Mark chapter 6. Worst thing that could ever happen in this town is what happened in Nazareth. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 5. The Bible says, and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their what, church? Their unbelief. And the next phrase is one of the saddest in the whole Bible, and he went round about the villages teaching. Somebody said, that doesn't sound sad. No, no, you missed it. He left Nazareth and never went back. Jesus passed by, gave them an opportunity. They didn't believe him, so he just kept on going. You know what would be awful? It would be awful if Jesus passed by this church and we refused to believe the Lord for what God wants and take a step of faith and obedience to the Lord, and Jesus said, I'm going to have to go find some other people who believe me. Oh, Lord, I don't want that to be me. Lee Robertson said at the end of his life, I should have believed God for more. I should have had more faith. I think about a man like that who lived and died in faith, and I think, Lord, if that's true of a man like that, how much more true is it of my life? I want to be a man of faith. It all begins with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six. 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I want to ask you a personal question tonight. What are you believing God for right now? What definite thing are you believing God for? I was preaching a week ago today in South Alabama for a young pastor. Their church is 10 years old. They're so excited they can't stand themselves. 
They're buying their first property. They're renting a building. They're buying their first property. They're, they're going to build their first church building. And they're having people saved and people join the church and good things happening. And the, uh, look, the Lord is working with them. And I observed as I was there just kind of watching, what's, what's the secret of all of this? At the end of one of the services, the pastor stood up and he started to cry. And he said to his congregation, young congregation, he said, I was in a meeting a few months ago. And he said, there was a man in the meeting that challenged all of us to pray an impossible prayer. And he said, while we were in that meeting, he said, the Holy Spirit put something impossible on my heart and said, this is what you ought to pray for. And he said, I didn't tell anybody. He said, I was scared. He said, but I started praying it that night. And he said, but I want to tell you, God answered my impossible prayer this week. He proceeded to share his testimony with the church. And, oh, I wish you could have been in the meeting with me. They just rejoiced. It was a blessing. It was a breakthrough. It, it's going to help the church go to the next level. But you know where it started? One guy believing God. You want to see the Lord work with you? Number one, it begins with those who believe. Here's the second one. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, go. Let's just stop there for a second. And he said unto them, go. Now skip down to verse 20 and mark this, and they went. Connect those in your Bible. Uh, verse 15, he said unto them, go, and verse 20, and they went. Would you write this down? The Lord works with us not only when we're willing to believe, but when we're willing to obey. I love this. These disciples didn't have all the answers. They didn't have the strategy laid out. They didn't have every question answered but they just knew this was Christ's final command to them, and whatever the Lord says, it must be right, and so we're just going to do it. By the way, for the record, this command has never been rescinded. The last command was the lasting command to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And while we're going to talk more about the application of that in just a moment, I don't want you to miss the basic premise. The first principle is this. You've got to be ready to obey God, whatever God says to do. You know why we don't see God work more? Because we stop. It's not because he stopped. Look, our God is a great and mighty God. He's working all the time. The reason we don't always see it is because so often we stop short of what God has told us to do. Let me just tell you, friend, God's not going to do what he told you to do. That's your job. So where do we stop God? Where do we stop short at the last place where we said yes to the Lord? So you may have been a Christian for 50 years, but if 20 years ago you stopped really obeying God and following Him every day and there was something the Lord told you to do and you didn't do it 20 years ago, then what you did 20 years ago is you stopped the miraculous, mighty power of God from doing everything He wanted to do in and through your life. And somebody said, well, that's true. I've wasted all these years. Sure, you've wasted time. So let me tell you what you do. You can't get that back, but you can start again today and you can say, Lord, I'm going to start obeying you today. And that line you drew in the sand and said, I'm not going any further, you cross that line and say yes to Jesus. And the minute you start obeying God again, you'll see the Lord working with you. There is one step between you and the power of God. It is the step of obedience. One step. And I wonder tonight, is there anything the Lord has told you to do that you've not done? Somebody said, you actually believe they did this, went in all the world and preached the gospel to every creature? Yes. I actually believe it. Did you know history tells us that in the first 30 or 35 years after the ascension of Christ, the known world was evangelized? That'll blow your mind. But wait a minute. We got more Bibles, more books, more Christian radio, more Christian TV, more media, and more money, and more preachers, and more church buildings 
than they ever thought about, and we still haven't evangelized our world. You tell me why. Because they believed in immediate, personal, radical obedience, and we are content with less. Let me prove to you that they actually obeyed him. In the book of Acts, the Bible says, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. That's how they were known, the people who had turned the world upside down. You know what we're doing? We're watching the news, watching the world that's upside down and fussing about it. Where are the obedient Christians? Go to the book of Colossians with me just a second. I'll show you something that's powerful. This will encourage your faith that it can be done. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse number 6. Paul writes to one of the local churches in the, in the first century, the church at Colossae. Colossians 1, 6, he says, which is coming to you, speaking of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Would you mark in all the world? Where had the gospel gone? To all the world. Same chapter, look down to verse number 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached, watch this, to every creature which is under heaven. Wait a minute. What did Mark 16, 15 say? Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel of what? Every creature. Now, Paul says, Colossians chapter 1, this is being preached to every creature which is under heaven. You know what it tells me? It tells me that the first Christians were obedient Christians. And if we want to see the Lord work, we're going to have to get back to some old-fashioned obedience. Here's the third truth. Go back to Mark 16. The Lord works with those who are willing to believe, who are ready to obey. And number three, the Lord works with those who are willing and active taking the gospel to others. Here's where the every creature comes in. Where did this miraculous power show up? This amazing power, these signs, it showed up where they were preaching the gospel. And I want to pause just a moment and tell you, that the modern-day charismatic movement has emphasized the signs without the gospel. And I want to say to you, that's a good sign that it's not the Lord's signs. Because the Lord's signs were always connected to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The main thing is the gospel. Study the Old New Testament. Signs came and went even in Bible days. They came at certain periods and then subsided. They ebbed and flowed. But one thing stays the same in every generation because everybody needs the same thing. Everybody needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that missionaries see more miraculous things than most of us do in a lifetime. And would you like to know why? Because they're living on the battlefront. They're right out there on the edge of the battle where it's hottest and where the devil is fighting. And I just want to tell you something. That's where the power of God shows up. And some of us live our whole life very comfortable, very, very complacent. And we never really see many answers to prayer or anybody getting saved or any really good things happen. And do you know why? Because we're content to stay in our comfort zone and not be used of the Lord. If you want to see God work, let me tell you how to do it. Grab you a stack of gospel tracts. You go out here in this community and find somebody that doesn't know Jesus and start talking to them about the Lord, and I'll give you a good report. God will start working with you. Every time I get in a little lull in my own Christianity, and by the way, we all get in lulls. How many of you ever get in a lull? Yeah, just in a rut. Dead as a hammer. Nothing going on. You know what I've learned? I've learned that if I'll start speaking about Jesus to somebody, that not only does the Lord work on them, but the Lord starts working on me. This past Christmas, I was somewhere early in the month of December, and I was in a hotel room, and I turned the news on, and 
they were doing a little spotlight in San Francisco, I think it was, San Diego, I think it was, on, uh, on the uh, secret Santa. You know who the secret Santa is? I guess you don't know who it is because it's secret, but he's a businessman that every year gives away hundreds of thousands of dollars through unique ways at Christmas time. This particular year, he went downtown and he hired a homeless man. And he said to this homeless man, I'm going to give you an envelope filled with $100 bills, brand new, crisp $100 bills. And he said, we're going to have television cameras here. And he said, I want you to stand on this street corner and I want you just to wish people a Merry Christmas and I want you to see if anybody stops and gives you anything. And he said, everybody that stops and gives you anything, no matter how little it is, you give them a $100 bill. Now I was interested. I started watching this documentary and I watched this fella. He was dirty and clothes were grimy and ill-shaven. Here he is standing there with his little cup wishing people a Merry Christmas. Most people just went right on by. They just kept going on by, just ignored him. And then he saw some people stop and drop some coins in. He's, oh, excuse me, just a second. He'd reach in his coat pocket, pull out a $100 bill and hand it to them. Blew them away. He did it all afternoon long. So it was all gone. When it was done, the fellow behind it, the businessman, said to this homeless man, you did exactly what I told you to do, and he gave him thousands and thousands of dollars for doing it. It was an amazing story. But they interviewed this fellow, this, this homeless man. He was weeping. And he said, you know, he said, I never thought this would ever happen to me. He said, but the amazing thing was today, he said, I got to make a difference in other people's lives. And then, then this is what this fellow said. He said, you know, the most amazing thing happened. He said, while I was making a difference in other people's lives, I think something happened to me today. And I thought when I heard those words, you know what might be good for some of God's children is if we got out of ourselves a little bit more and started trying to make a difference in the lives of people around us, you know what it would do? We'd see the Lord working in us as well. The Lord working with them. I was on a plane the other day with next to a lady. I was next to the window, and I was working. And, and to be honest with you, I was, I was busy and distracted, and I paid no attention to her. And I, I said hello when she sat down, but I didn't say a word to her. So we were about 20 miles from the airport. We were about to land, and I'd put my things away, and she was just sitting there. It was an older woman. And I pulled out a little gospel track, and I said, could I give you something that, that I wrote just about my own faith in Jesus? And maybe you'd like to read it. And she looked at it says on the front, would you like a new start? She looked at it. She looked at me and looked at it, looked at me. She said, I've been looking for this. I said, excuse me? She said, this new start. She said, I need that. She said, a month ago, I about died. She said, I went to the doctor for a regular checkup on something, and they were performing a little test, and she said they punctured an organ doing it. And she said, they put me in the hospital, and she said, I'm from Italy. I could hear her accent. She said, I'm from Italy, but she said, I've lived here in the States for several years. And she said, I, I'm lying in this hospital bed. And she said, I'm just wondering if I'm going to live or die. And she said, now, this is strange, preacher. This is strange. She said, but this, this doctor came in four mornings in a row. I don't even know who he was, but he was a Christian like you. And every morning when he got done talking to me, he would hold my hand and he would pray for me. And she said it was strange. He didn't just pray for me physically. She, he was praying for me about this, you know, this thing you've given me. The Lord was after that woman. And we got, went through the gospel together, and 
just, just before the plane landed, she bowed her head and asked Christ to be her Savior. And you know what I thought when I got off that plane? I thought, I'm an idiot. That's what I thought. Because here I am working for the Lord and so busy, I almost missed the very appointment that God made for me that day. Here's a woman he brought halfway around the world, brought her almost to the brink of death, sent a Christian doctor into her room, put her on a plane in a seat next to me so that I could tell her about Jesus, and I almost missed seeing God work. And I wonder how many people we are missing. The Lord working with us. Let me give you the others quickly. Would you write them down? Number four, the Lord works with us in spite of everything that's against us. That's what verse 17 and 18 is all about. Look at verse 17 and 18. What are all these things? Devils? It says new tongues. Somebody, oh, yeah, tongues. Let's talk about tongues. Let me tell you about tongues. There was language barriers to the gospel. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost removed all that, let them speak with tongues. They didn't even know, but they were speaking of the very word of God. So every man was hearing the gospel. You know what the Lord was showing? He's greater than everything. He was at the Tower of Babel, and he can straighten it out if he wants to. Look at the next verse. The Bible says they take up serpents. You remember Paul reached his hand across a fire and a viper came out in the book of Acts of Island of Melita and he didn't fall down dead and they said, the gods are among us. No, the gods weren't among you. God was at work with Paul. Then the Bible says they drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt them. In other words, when people try to come after you, God's going to protect you. When the devil tries to kill you, the Lord's not going to let that happen until he's through with you. And then the Bible says they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover illness. God's greater than that. What are these verses all about? One thing, as we obey God, as we get the gospel to every creature, the Lord says, I am greater than he that is in the world. I can overcome every obstacle that's in your way. The Lord works with us in spite of everything that's against us. And then number five, write this down. The Lord works with us because of his own access. Look at verse 19. He can work with us here because he's there. Where is he? Verse 19 almost looks a little out of place, but it's not. The Lord speaks, goes up into heaven, the ascension of Christ, sits down at the right hand of God. And why is he there? He's praying for us. So watch this. This is beautiful. Somebody said, I wish Jesus was here on earth to work today. You missed the whole point. He is on earth. He lives in his believers. He's working through his church at this moment. As surely as he worked 33 and a half years, he's working today. How is he doing that? He's at the right hand of the Father. He has access to all of heaven's resources. Think of this. By Jesus, you get access to all that God has. By Jesus, you get access to heaven's bank account. So you get all the Father has through Jesus Christ, and not only that, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That, friends, is the epitome of the Lord working with you. And then look at the next one, verse Number 20, the Bible says in the beginning of the verse, and they went forth and preached everywhere. Would you write down number six, the Lord works with us everywhere his kingdom is being advanced. I've learned something about preaching over the last few years. Now, I've been preaching for many, many years, but I've learned something really important and basic about preaching. I've learned that when my messages are full of Jesus, God seems to work. And that when I don't talk about Jesus much, not much happens. You know why that is? Everywhere Christ is being lifted up, the Holy Ghost is at work. 
Everywhere the kingdom is being built, God is doing something. Everywhere the gospel is advancing, you can be sure the Lord is working there. And he's not bound by geography or circumstance. He's not limited by your personality or your emotions on a given day. No, the Lord works with you everywhere that you are doing what he wants done in this world. There's a beautiful little secret to this in verse 20. It says, confirming the word. Mark that, confirming the word. He works through the word. There's power in the word of God. Not just when the preacher preaches it. You want to see God's power in your home this week? Start reading the Bible together as a family again. You want to see the Lord work in you this week? Spend some time meditating in the Scripture every day. Now you want to see God shake things up on the job? Start speaking the Scriptures to those you work with and talk to them about what the Lord is teaching you. Why? Because there's power connected to the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Here's the seventh and final one. Look at the end of verse number 20. The Bible says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs. What's that word, church? Following. Go back up. Go back up to verse 17. And these signs shall what? Follow. Would you write this one down, number seven? The Lord works with us even after our work has ended. Please don't miss this. It's just, it's helped me. Sometimes you go and you labor and you preach and you teach and you witness and you work and you think, man, I don't know if any good thing happened. Wait, 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 wait. You remember all you're doing is sowing the seed. It's the Lord's business to bring forth the fruit. One plants, another waters, but who gives the increase, church? God gives the increase. Being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you, will perform it, he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And I tell you that what follows, that's all up to the Lord. But I promise you this, if you'll step out in faith, obey God, get the gospel to every creature, uh, don't be detoured by what's in front of you. Just keep pressing forward in faith. You will see the Lord working with you. And friend, when you get to glory someday at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus at the judgment seat, I think you'll see that some other things and people have followed you there. And I wonder, what will follow this church? This church will be gone someday. We'll all be gone someday, if you're wondering. This generation will be gone someday, and another generation will sit in these seats if Jesus tears his coming. But what will follow? What will follow? What will come behind? That depends, my friend, on whether we are willing to let the Lord work with us or not. And I'm afraid too often we've settled for so much less than what God actually has for us. So there are two things I want to challenge this church with tonight, and they are these. Number one, I'm going to ask you if tonight you'll ask God afresh to work with you. You'll pray in faith, believing. Some of you have prayed for somebody to be saved for a long time. You've almost given up on it. Some of you have trusted the Lord for something, and you've about gotten to the place where the, the liar, the devil's whispered in your ear and said, that's never going to happen. Might as well just not, not even trust that anymore. You need to bring that back to God tonight. This may be the very moment where the Lord's about to do something big. You need to say, Lord, work with me. Number two. It's a sin to pray if you're not going to obey. So here's number two. If you're going to ask the Lord to work, I'm going to ask you tonight if you will recommit yourself personally to being in the work of the Lord, to finding your place, working for Him and working with Him to get the gospel. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't reach everybody, but you can reach some creature out there with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you will, friend, 
you'll find that the greatest adventure on earth is the adventure of God's work and seeing the Lord working with you. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.